Greece. And from everyone, from fucking everywhere. As a young man, growing up with fucking heavy metal, listen to this close. Never in my fucking life did I ever think I'd be on the same stage with fucking Slayer, man, honestly. say this, Slayer has never needed me for fucking nothing. Slayer ain't needed nobody for nothing. They never needed me. But you know what? I needed Slayer. Do you understand me? I needed Slayer. Like a chump, like a chump, like a chump. Hey, this is Talking Slayer. It's what we do. It's all we do, mostly. This is episode 31 in an arc of approximately 50 episodes in the chronological history of the thrashiest big four thrash metal band. If you want to catch up in order, episode 6 is probably a good place to start. This week's topic is the album God Hates Us All. I am your host and slayer friend, D.X. Ferris. Every week I read to you from my book, Slayer 66 and Two Thirds, a metal band biography, the postmortem edition, which I updated this year. Yeah, I know there were typos in the old version. Hey, you try this shit. Any of you who have studied statistics know that we should expect a certain number of flaws in any kind of process. You're not 12 years old anymore. You know this already. As a couple astute Amazon reviewers have noted, this is not an authorized biography. It does include information from some other major works about Slayer. This book is based on numerous interviews I conducted with the band over a lot of years, plus exhaustive exhaustive, extensive library research. Don't say library. You sound unliterate when you say library. But there's a lot of research in there. Anyhow, here's where we are if you are just tuning in. Two weeks ago, all listeners learned about drummer Paul Bostaff's return to the band. As Jens know, Bostaff replaced founding percussionist Dave Lombardo the drum deity. Then John Deddy replaced him for a minute. Then Deddy got the boot. Spoiler, we have not seen the last of John Deddy. And, a couple weeks ago, y'all learned about No Remorse, Slayer's collaboration with German digital hardcore group Atari Teenage Riot, who are very good. Last week, Patreon supporters heard all about the album Diabolus in Musica, Slayer's polarizing foray into new metal, which still rips pretty hard. Most of it, half of it. This week's topic is God Hates Us All, Slayer's remarkably timed first album of the 21st century. Next week, Patreon fans, Patreon supporters, will hear about the band's new drummer, whom many of you will recognize from earlier in the story. You can be a patron too. 
packages start at less than a buck an episode. That is one American dollar. I'm saying that for our one listener in Egypt and our one listener in the Philippines and all five of you in Ireland. I hope you're enjoying the show. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends. If you don't feel like joining on Patreon, this show is brought to you by my books. Go to Amazon, check some out. D like David, X like X-Men, Ferris like the wheel. Hey, quick note, it is still cold and flu season. I'm having a difficult time speaking and breathing. If I wait for it to get better, you don't get a no show. This is what my voice is like now. I will try not to cough in your ear. I'll talk to you some more after the show. House band Chupacabra is back. Let's do this. Chapter 35 God Hates Us All As the 21st century dawned, Slayer kept busy. In 1999, Slayer recorded Here Comes the Pain and contributed it to the pro wrestling soundtrack album called WCW Mayhem, The Music. Slater appeared alongside Cypress Hill, Limp Bizkit, Megadeth, Metallica, live cut from Metallica, Insane Clown Posse, and Lyrical Giants. No, me neither. The group finally managed to record another quality old-school cover, Black Sabbath's Hand of Doom, which was part of the album Nativity in Black 2, a tribute to Black Sabbath. Then they cut the song Bloodline with producer Matt Hyde, who had worked with No Doubt, Green Jelly, Porno for Pyros, yay, and later Hatebreed, yeah, also yay. Slayer served up the vampire-themed track for the soundtrack to the movie Dracula 2000. I don't remember that one either. The year 2000 saw a modest touring season, mostly European festivals, followed by a month-long run in the package tour called Tattoo the Earth. The band was second billed after Slipknot, the one true metal band from the new metal era. A sudden phenomenon, the group Slipknot was a platinum, pile-driving, nine-man machine whose fans were as obsessive and energetic and crazed as Slayers. King told Metal Hammer in 2001, Slipknot fucking destroy me. I listen to them and even I feel intimidated. They're a band I'm as obsessed with as the bands that I was when I was growing up. End quote. Opening acts for this tour included Sepultura, Downset, Nothing Face, and Seven Dust. Seven Dust? Slayer played short sets about half the length of a headlining show typically 11 or 12 songs in roughly this order. And do check out this week's show notes. Next couple weeks, a lot of videos, a lot of stuff, a lot of content. You're missing out if you don't check out the show notes. So anyhow, for Tattoo the Earth, this was a typical Slayer set. Number one, mandatory suicide. That's an interesting way to open up. I say that sincerely. Number two, war ensemble. Now the pedals to the metal. Three, Bitter Peace. Four, Death's Head. Five, Here Comes the Pain. Six, Dead Skin Mask. Seven, Shifting Gears. Raining Blood. Eight, Hell Awaits. 
9. Stain of Mind 10. Chemical Warfare 11. South of Heaven 12. Angel of Death Pretty dynamic set. Without an album to promote, the band was booked in mostly medium-sized outdoor venues that held between five and 10,000 fans, like Denver's Red Rocks and Phoenix's Manzanita Speedway. Smaller shows were slated for halls like the 3,500-capacity Eagles Ballroom in Milwaukee, great town. The next time Slater mounted a major tour, they would use the principle of the package tour to spring themselves back in two arenas. Diabolus, the album, had been a big departure, but three years later, the band decided they were not going to stray any further from thrash. The ominously titled album, God Hates Us All, arrived on 9-11-2001, a day that will live in infamy, day of major coordinated terrorist attacks in the USA, unprecedented, monumental day to say the least. This time, Kerry King was determined to not repeat his hands-off approach he felt had made Diabolus underwhelming. God Hates Us All is Carrie's album through and through. Things change as of right now. Now we really see Carrie sling the band over his shoulders and march forward with it. From this point on, Slayer is pretty much Carrie's band under the unwavering direction of Captain King. Here are the songwriting credits for God Hates Us All. Released once again on American Recordings. Darkness of Christ, lyrics by King, music by Hanneman. Disciple, lyrics by King, music by Hanneman. God Send Death, lyrics by Ariah and Hanneman, music by Hanneman. New Faith, lyrics and music by King. Cast Down, lyrics and music, King. Threshold, lyrics by King. Music by Hanneman. Exile, lyrics and music by King. Seven Faces, lyrics and music, both Carrie King. Bloodline, lyrics by Ariah and Hanneman, music by Hanneman and King. Deviance, lyrics by Hanneman and Ariah, music by Hanneman. Warzone, lyrics and music, King. Here Comes the Pain, Lyrics and Music by King. Payback, Lyrics and Music, Carrie King. Two bonus tracks on the Japanese version. Addict, Lyrics by King, Music by Hanneman. Scarstruck, Lyrics and Music by Carrie King. Paul Bostaff, who had left the band, wanted to be more of a creative force, returned to the band. Unlike the previous record, does not receive any writing credits on this album. It's a curious breakdown. King wrote all the lyrics for 10 of 13 songs. He had seven solo music writing credits. Working alone, Hanneman wrote music for five songs with just one musical collaboration with King, Bloodline from the pre-album sessions. Hanneman and Araya collaborated on words for the other three tunes. Hanneman did not write a single complete set of lyrics by himself, and he did not write any lyrics with King. Again, these are the guys that wrote, co-wrote Rain and Blood, 
not working together, not in that way, not on this record. Slayer considered hiring Ross Robinson for a producer. Robinson, one of the production greats, was the new metal Rick Rubin, the big luminary of the genre of the movement. Robinson had credits for Korn, the Deftones, and Slipknot. But Hyde stayed on as a producer when the recording shifted to Canada's Warehouse Studios in Vancouver. Kerry King told Kerrang this is why they went with Hyde. He said, quote, He's got a handle on regular recording boards, and he's got a handle on Pro Tools, so we've got the best of both worlds. Matt is big on sound and on performance, so he's the right man. He's been really enthused by the stuff. In fact, he's more excited than I am, end quote. And you gotta remember, this is the birth of the Pro Tools era. It's still a pretty new thing at this point, so it's a real combination of analog and digital production, mixing, editing. Hyde mixed his initial two cuts. The rest of them are mixed by Sean Bevan, who worked on early Nine Inch Nails releases. Remember, Kerry King, Nine Inch Nails fan. And Bevan remained with Marilyn Manson through that band's career. Rick Rubin, once again, stays on the roster, but barely, as executive producer. Technically, God Hates Us All is more of a new metal album than Diabolus. King even plays more seven-string on songs Warzone and Here Comes the Pain. On God Hates Us All, the band's sound is its driest since Seasons, but with the added sterility of the digital age. Overall, the guitar tones sound like industrial yard maintenance machinery, which in itself is not a bad thing. Following an anarchic soundscape of an intro, God Hates Us All stands as the first Slayer album with a fairly flat opening track. At no point does Disciple get dynamic and drop into a whole new gear with a pivot in momentum, a lacerating guitar solo, or a blood-curdling vocal. As the album progresses, its bland riffage sounds interchangeable with bands of the day, some better, Slipknot, some worse. American Head Charge, remember them? For the first time in its distinguished career, Slayer is merely keeping pace with the rest of the pack. In coming years, extreme bands would take Slayer's speedy, dissonant, technical edge and, in one respect, leave the band in the dust. But the whole idea that faster is better while that argument is like claiming a blazing trumpet player is innately superior to a simple, moving composition like, say, Max Roach's Equipoise. Once again, if Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman have failed to match Raining Blood, then so had the rest of the genre. But in retrospect, God Hates Us All sounds better than it did at the time, and for my money, Diabolus has not aged as well. On this album, Slayer's lyrical themes shift their balance away from fantastic lyrics. From this point on, Slayer's records are dominated by real-world scenarios about the evil that people do in the name of power and money and religious salvation. One of the album's contributions to future set lists is the song Payback. This straight-up, hardcore-influenced ripper almost justifies King's body of first-person, fuck-off songs. 
that's a growing strain of lyrics written from the point of view, I. When you're writing songs that are about I and your point of view, for my money, it is a simpler lyrical approach. This becomes Carrie's preferred mode in songs like Hate Worldwide and Catalyst, as opposed to larger, more imaginative stories like Ghosts of War, say. As an act of creativity, there is a huge difference between letting people know how you feel and what you think and crafting a compelling narrative, even when the latter contains elements of fiction. Like Metallica's James Hetfield, as his band aged, King spent less and less time telling stories and more time telling fans what was on his mind. And, if we're comparing those two, let's be fair, King never stooped to fucking terrible wordplay like frantic, tick, 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 talk, get it, tick, tick, talk, like James Hetfield did in the 2003 song Frantic. And hey, this career-long retrospective, I'm bagging on Kerry King's lyrics from time to time. He's written some of Slayer's best lyrics, too. Raining Blood, which Hanneman started and King finished, is also a first-person narrative, but that has scope. God Hates Us All, the original cover art, reflects one of the band's worst lyrics from the song New Faith. I'm not even going to try to do this in a Tom voice. You know the lyrics. I keep the Bible in a pool of blood so that none of its lies can infect me. The image depicts a Bible dotted with nails, smeared in blood, with slayer burned into it. The inner artwork is more sophisticated. The lyrics are presented as pages of a Bible between segments of the book of Job, the King James Version. The Job passages are heavily redacted in black marker, which edits out the latter-day editions that turn the story into a parable about the rewards of faith. In the early versions of the Old Testament tale, Job is a faithful man whose estate and body are devastated at God's whim when Satan goads the deity into testing his loyal follower. You probably know this, but let's recap. One day in the book of Job, God and the devil are sitting around talking shop, maybe talking shit, and God says, hey, people are good, look at my boy Job over there. He loves me. He's a good dude. And Satan says, yeah, you know what? Job, he only loves you because you take care of him. If you would take all his comfort away from him, make him suffer, put him in a bad spot, he would be like, hey, God is not my dude. In fact, I don't like him. What the fuck? So God's like, yeah, really? You think Job only likes me because I'm taking care of him and hooking him up? Watch this. So God smites Job makes him miserable, takes away everything. The original version, that's how they left it. In later versions, they gave it a happy ending. So, for what it's worth, that's what the inner notes on the album art are referring to. They are taking issue with the New Testament vision of God as a being of unadulterated love. The bloody Bible theme barely got off the ground. To ease things over with retailers, the label added a cardboard slipcase with alternate artwork of four bronze crosses joined at their base with a white background, 
which caused King considerable aggravation. With 13 songs, God Hates Us All falls just short of being Slayer's longest proper album. Featuring three more songs than Seasons in the Abyss, it runs just seconds shorter, six seconds, clocking in at 42.21. We're talking about the American versions here. By then, Slayer reviews were beginning to follow in a predictable template. Fifteen years after it was released, Rain and Blood was now recognized as a canonized classic. Since God Hates Us All, Slayer reviews had routinely name-checked Rain and Blood, and they would imply that the new album is their best since. It seldom worked out that way in retrospect. Aaron Burgess, Alternative Press Magazine's resident credible metal fan, called the disc, quote, the most powerful, viscerally brutal album the quartet had released to date, end quote. Aaron knows what he's talking about. If we have different opinions, I would go with his. Elsewhere, a new age of critical outlets was dawning. It wasn't just magazines anymore. Now running the burgeoning metal site Blabbermouth, Borevoj Kurgan skewered the album, writing, quote, While God Hates Us All possesses some of the same ingredients that made Diabolus a marginally refreshing surprise, Slayer's latest represents yet another failure on the band's part to take the initiative and reinvent themselves, a regurgitation of the group's past songwriting efforts in the hopes of pleasing no one but their most ardent and loyal fans. End quote. Kurgan also noted, quote, The biggest surprise, and ultimately disappointment, comes in the shape of the vocal performance of frontman Tom Araya. Once considered to be at the very top of his field, with the kind of vocal power and conviction most of his counterparts could only dream of, Araya has transformed into a hollow shell of his former self, boasting a singing style that is monotonous devoid of creativity, and at times virtually unlistenable, end quote. Ouch. The Blabbermouth Review scored the album a 6 on a scale of 1 to 10, but the Reader Reviews over a decade later averaged a 7.9, the highest possible C+, almost a B. Unlike critics and connoisseurs, fans, they tend to be easier to please, and this is not a bad thing. Fans tend not to be burdened by expectations of what a band could do and should do. A new record from their favorite groups makes them happy. And if they're still listening to it a decade later, that's an added bonus. So critics, and I'm not saying I've never done it, but sometimes we have different standards, different reasons, different ideas than the rank and file. If you like it, that's cool. You're correct. A marked minority of fans rank God Hates Us All among their favorite Slayer records. Kerry King is one of them. In 2007, he told me, I like Rain and Blood, I like Seasons in the Abyss, I like God Hates Us All, and I like Christ Illusion. Those are my top four albums. End quote. Christ Illusion? As it turned out, the biggest surprise was the album's reception among music industry kingmakers. The album's first real song, Disciple, with the very clearly shouted repeating chorus, God hates us all. It was not a big single, not a hit single, but it broke big. 
The song snagged the band their first Grammy nomination in the category of Best Metal Performance. Tool won that year. But ever since Jethro Tull beat out Metallica for the first hard rock metal performance, vocal, or instrumental Grammy in 1989, nobody expected that category's results to be very hardcore. 2001, pretty busy touring year. The band played around 80 shows. Before the album dropped, Slayer bounded back into arenas, taking the spot on the Extreme Steel Tour, which was a top-heavy affair that starred Pantera, then Slayer, then Morbid Angel, then Static X, then Scrape. Scrape. With a K. Slayer's sets during that tour were short but devastating. They typically ran like this. 1. Raining Blood 2. Chemical Warfare 3. Stain of Mind 4. Bloodline 5. War Ensemble 6. Disciple 7. Seasons in the Abyss 8. Dead Skin Mask 9. South of Heaven 10. Angel of Death That's it. The 9-11 terrorist attacks scuttled a European edition of the Pantera package in the fall. Slayer headlined an altered lineup of Cradle of Filth, Biohazard, and, on German dates, Destruction, as the local heroes had all the way back in 1985. The God Hates the World tour hit the U.S. in October. Slayer headlined the same clubs they had before, but they had more theaters on the list, too. The New York City stop once again hit the Roseland. In Hollywood, the band staged a hometown show at the 6,000-capacity Universal Amphitheater. The average set list for this leg of the tour was this. Darkness of Christ, Disciple, War Ensemble, Stain of Mind, New Faith, Postmortem, Raining Blood, Hell Awaits, Die by the Sword, Ditto Head, Bloodline, God Send Death, Dead Skin Mask, Seasons in the Abyss, Mandatory Suicide, Chemical Warfare, then for the Encore, South of Heaven, and Angel of Death. These shows were devastating to the drummer. Early in the tour, Paul Bostaff aggravated a pre-existing softball injury to one of his arms while lifting a laptop computer at the airport. Portable computers weighed a lot more in 2001, and smartphones as we know them did not exist. So, Bostaff played the entire tour hurt. By December, the band had a mere 34 shows notched up, most of them they had played since June. But even with the light schedule, the drummer was run down and out. Maybe run out. With just a few dates left in the year, Slayer returned to San Francisco for a December 7th show at the Warfield Theater. The concert was filmed and later released as the Live at the Warfield video. Check the show notes for video from that. Two weeks after taping that document, the band issued a press release. The written statement said, Due to a chronic elbow injury, Paul Bostaff, Slayer drummer for the past several years, is leaving the band. Bostaff feels he is unable to continue performing to his fullest potential and greatest intensity. The statement continued, Bostaff says, quote, 
It's been an unbelievable ride with Slayer. Playing with these guys has been an incredible high point in my career, and I'm really grateful for the experience. And the quote from Paul. The press release continues, Slayer bandmates Carrie King, Jeff Hanneman, and Tom Mariah are all indebted for Paul's contributions. Guitarist Carrie King said, quote, Paul has been an incredible part of our band, and we will definitely miss his talent. We wish him all the best. End quote. End quote from the press release. As usual with Slayer, that official explanation came into dispute later. Shortly after leaving the Thrash Titans, the drummer joined a band called Systematic. They were a junior varsity new metal band that was signed to Elektra. A year and a half later, immediately following the release of his first album with Systematic, both staff opened up with a tantalizing but incomplete explanation for his split with Slayer. Speaking to music magazine Perfect Pitch Online, both staff said neither the injury or the opportunity led him to leave. Bostaff said, quote, I didn't leave Slayer because of an arm problem, and I certainly didn't leave Slayer to join Systematic. I was ready to go. It was nothing personal towards anybody in the band. It was just my time to leave. Musically, I wanted to do something else. Slayer took my drumming to a new level, but there are also other levels of drumming that I haven't even touched yet. I wanted to be a more eclectic drummer. With dates already scheduled for January, Slayer needed a new drummer and they needed one fast. They didn't call Deddy, who had briefly replaced Bostaff in 1996. The press release that announced Bostaff's departure also broke news of his replacement. It was a familiar face. Team Slayer had drafted a surprising and inspired choice. Hey all, it's your pal. This is Talking Slayer. I wrote a second Slayer book, a smaller one. Actually, it was my first one. It's called 33 and a Third, Slayer's Rain and Blood. All about rain and blood. People seem to like it. The variant cover of the bigger book is gone, but you can still get the rain and blood book. Here's the deal. Once again, Patreon supporters get an episode every week. Free listeners get every other episode. And if you listen free, hey, I get that. Even if you do, I try to be respectful of your time. I hate podcast ad reads. I'm probably leaving some money on the table, but I don't want to waste your time with that bullshit. Like, you're tired. You're so tired. You work hard. You want to relax. But how can you do that? Furniture. Furniture lets you sit down. It's what's for dinner. Furniture. That shit is stupid. So that said, I am not doing this because it is interesting and fun. Although it is. This podcast is brought to you in large part by my books. If you listen for free and you buy some of my stuff, I consider us cool. And I won't ask you for any more than that. I don't even ask you to leave reviews or tell your friends about the show, although it's nice if you do. But the holidays are coming up. Here's my point, and I'm not going to do this again, so if you're listening, if you need some gifts this holiday season, please consider my stuff. Easiest way is to go to Amazon, which is not a sponsor, 
but they just make it easy. Look for DX Ferris. D like degeneration, X like X the owl, Ferris like the wheel. Like I said, there's another book about Slayer. I wrote a book about Goodfellas, which for my money is maybe the best movie after Apocalypse Now. That one is available, the Goodfellas book. It's available as a very good audio book. Much better production than this. Better reading. I co-wrote one, a book about pro wrestling with my man, positive Darren Paltrowitz, who has a very good podcast about David Lee Roth. I co-wrote a pretty good book, I think, about nonprofit leadership. If you have kids who take martial arts lessons and they fight you on it sometimes, I co-wrote a good short book about how to keep your kids on track to making it to black belt. I wrote a couple compilations of my comic strip, Suburban Metal Dad. I don't talk about that enough. They're funny. One of them is a collection of Christmas comics, seven years worth. It's called Christmas Sevenfold. So there's a lot of stuff out there that I make that maybe you would like if you like this. So if you need some holiday gifts, Amazon.com, DX Ferris, see if anything smells good to you. Happy holidays. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you dig it. Maximum gratitude. Maximum gratitude. Undisputed gratitude to the Slatanic superfans who financially support this show. Howard H. Smith, host of Talking Bollocks. David Jones, Vince Stigma Bloom, Dave Mack, Daryl's Whammy Bar, Metal Matt Hinch, Ryan Dusso, also the hardliest working man in podcasting, host of ThrashMetalShow.com, your friend, no friender. Yens guys do more than your share to keep this show coming. Thank Yens very much. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Slayer, a podcast and half-assed audio book by your pal Ferris. To support the show and learn more, visit patreon.com slash slayerbook. S-L-A-Y-E-R-B-O-O-K. Patreon.com slayerbook. No S on the end. Credits and crucial thanks. Podcast artwork is by Jason Shank of Midwest Authenticity Consultants. Unless otherwise noted, all the rad music is by Nige Savage, the aggressive perfecter, also of the awesome UK thrash band Chupacabra. Check them out. From the hit podcast Spanking It With Julio, the producer is Mitch Kramer, the spirit in black. The dog is Wolfie. Audio technical consultants are... Matt Wardlaw, The Tormentor, Forrest Gabbage of Southbound Tracks, codenamed Gemini, Jessica Baxter of the Paid in Puke podcast, and Stargate Pioneer and everyone at the Gunna Geek Network. Consultant for Audiovisual Affairs and Irish History is James Ferris of Massive Media. The beta test group is Vince Bloom, Craig Cohen, Steve-O, your older brother Sam, Bruno McDonald, Jason Pettigrew, Outer Nowhere, Sue Madre, and Mike Olszewski. 
The Slatanic archivists are Jamie Walters, Tony Alberts, Spar Schmidt, Chris Bade, Paul from Dropgun, Paul from Slayerized, and Nicholas, the Slayer Collector. Ongoing thanks to metal mentors and radio dudes, including but not limited to Ed Rohr, Brian Biggs, Randy Fox, and Dean B. True. Additional Shingy, courtesy Captain Shum and the Concerned Party Lembe Squad. Expert consultation by Nate Runkle, the Catalyst, also of Yo, That's My John, good show. Howard H. Smith of Acid Rain and Talking Bullocks, a.k.a. the Captor of Sin. No friender of the Thrash Metal Show and the When It Was Cool Podcast Network. And Ryan J. Downey, the Ghost of War, also of the Speak and Destroy podcast. Thanks, I heartians, I heartians all, a lot. Partial list of people that I wish were still here. Sumner J. Ferris, Nora Ferris, Vera Lehane, Ron Forsyth, Lori Martin, Audrey Sapizi, Donald Shevsky, and Tom Morrissey. Jeff Hanneman too, obviously, but I did not know him personally. If you have a different opinion, you are right and I am wrong. If you have questions or you want to rap, you can find me online. At Twitter, I am SlayerBook, no S. On Insta, I am SlayerBooks, with an S on the end. On Facebook, SlayerBook, no S. Buy the book and you can find an email address in it. The book, Slayer 66 and Two Thirds, a metal band biography, the 2023 postmortem update, is published by 6623 Press. It is a very reasonably priced paperback and a very cheap Kindle ebook. 6623 Press makes useful, reasonably priced, unconventional, creator-owned books about popular culture, success, and other cool stuff. This podcast is a production of 6623 Press and Mostly Things. The easiest place to find my books is Amazon, but select retailers have them too. If you're a retailer and you don't have them, but you want them, hit me up. Thank you for listening. More next time. Peace.